Hey, Next on the Teen Nation, thanks for tuning in to this segment of the show. I really appreciate all your support. If you're enjoying the show, please go online to podcastmagazine.com and vote for us in their Hot 50 list. Just go to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. Stay up to date with our guest schedule by going online to nextonthetea.net. I really appreciate you. Enjoy the segment. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade. Golf is an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why we made the all-new TaylorMade Stealth Irons. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cat-back design with a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance through the bag and more forgiveness on those occasional, or not so occasional, less-than-perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, Try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade, Beyond Driven. All right, now back again with me this season is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. For everyone in the Fort Myers, Florida area, go see Tom at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club. He can help you play your best golf ever this year. Later this summer, he'll be back at Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia. So you folks in the Virginia, West Virginia, and Washington, D.C. areas, you get to have Tom back again this year. So go on to his website, TomPatry.com, check him out, and become the next student that Tom coaches up to a championship level. If you can't go see him in person, download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing. He can help get you dialed in through the app. Give TP a follow on Twitter and Instagram at TomPatryGolf. Don't forget to subscribe to his YouTube channel where you can get over 150 free playing videos right there for you. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Advisory Board. And I'm very thankful. He is back with me again this season on Next on the T. ATP, how are you, my friend? Christy. Boy. A little extra for me to start the new year. TP, how are you, my friend? So glad to hear your voice. Christy, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I mean, I, first of all, before we get started, season number nine for you. How many shows, man? 9,532? I mean, what's I, going on? I man? think that's, I then, think that's pretty close. And then the top 10 of that podcast magazine thing, it's just, the man is amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I love you, Tom. My friend, I gotta, you know, start out with, uh, with you tonight. We gotta talk about the players championship. I tell you, the things that I saw over the what turned out to be five days of that golf tournament, from the weather, the, the the wind and the rain, to some amazing golf shots, to um, to Cam hanging on at the end, I, I was I was getting a little nervous for him, uh, especially the way he played eighteen. I was getting a little nervous he was going to throw it all away. But uh, y- your thoughts on what you saw over the last five days? Well, it was a tournament that lasted over five days in three different seasons. We had, we, had, we had a little winter, we had a little spring, we had a little fall. Um, and for anybody that's ever been there, Chris, I, I don't know if you've been there or not, but I, I've probably played uh, TPC probably, I don't know, a dozen times in my life. And I remember the first time I went, actually, the first time I actually went, it was 1984. I stayed with Freddie when he won. I, uh, I was up there for the wow. week with him and, and actually, and actually stayed, and we, uh, we hung out together for the week and had a condo and, uh, so I, you know, it was great because he, he played the last two rounds. I mean, the last round, excuse me, Chris. With now think about this, 1984, he played the last round with Watson and Ballesteros. Wow. Um, 
So I got to kind of watch it real close under current conditions. And the course has been softened a little bit since then, but, but not very much. And then they had that weather they had this weekend. It's a really hard place. It's a very visually intimidating place. Um, it's the kind of place if you get going the wrong direction, it's hard to turn. It's a real hard place to turn around. Um, but also, as you saw the last day with Dustin shooting 63 and, and, and Cam making 10 birdies, it's the kind of place if you are dialed in, um, you can get at some pins and, and you can do some damage if the wind lays down. Um, for people who don't know it, it's right across the street from, from the ocean. It's not very far from the ocean at all, under a mile. So it can get whipped in there as you saw, as you saw it happen this week. And you throw some rain in there and it's, it's, uh, it's pretty challenging. Um, my thoughts were this. I, I thought there was a lot of whining going on the first couple of days and, and there was, was some whining going on for pretty major players. And, and I guess they forgot that everybody was playing under the same conditions. Um, I think the tough thing about TPC right now on the schedule is, you know, they go to Honda. It's a really hard golf course. They went to Bay Hill this year. I was actually at Bay Hill on Sunday. And the golf course was really, really difficult. Then you go to TPC, it's like you get punched in the face three times in a row. Um, that's a really tough stretch. And mentally, I think you want to focus on TPC, obviously. I, I consider it the fifth major. Um, you want to be fresh going in there. I think a lot of guys are not happy about the, the way the schedule falls out. Um, and there's no, there's no real week to skip there. Um, you want to feel like you go in there prepared and playing, but you're playing on, Three very difficult venues in a row. It's just mentally taxing. Take that a step further, because that's one of the things I wanted to get your thoughts on, particularly around the the Arnold Palmer Invitational. The golf course is always set up very difficult. We've heard complaints from players about the API for years. I, I can remember going back years ago to Chris DeMarco talking about how the golf course plays too difficult. And it, it, to me, it very much reminded me of a U.S. Open setup. I mean, the rough looked incredibly thick. I mean, I, I remember seeing some of the videos. I, I think one of the caddies posted during the practice round of a ball just off the fairway in the rough. Couldn't see it. He almost had to step on it to be able to see it. And then when you get the greens dried out and, and all that and the, the speed and all, all the things that come into how difficult they set up that golf course and players complain about it. Rory talked about just almost what, what you just said a minute ago. Like he got punched in the face. He said, I think he said he was punch drunk. Everybody played the same golf course, but is that a problem? where we could see fewer and fewer players playing the API because they don't want to go through what they have to go through in order to play that golf tournament for four days or you know five or six days with practice rounds and then go right into the players. So now that Mr. Palmer is no longer with us, do you think that that's a danger in the schedule that player, more and more players will skip it because they just don't want to deal with the golf course? I think Chris, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, uh, you know, people went there, in the past, I mean, great, great players went there in the past, um, no matter how hard it was, because they respected Arnold so much. And I think the the, uh, the tournament committee and the PGA Tour together have to be extremely careful going forward, because let's face it, Arnold is not there anymore, and there there isn't that because I have to I have to show up because Arnold asked me to. Um, I, I could I could actually see, and I, I hope this doesn't happen, Chris. I can actually see this tournament years from now going away. Um, because, you know, schedules do change and, you know, Arnold is not here anymore. It is a great venue. Uh, Orlando has, has become a great golf town, but without Arnold's presence, if you continue to, to, to set this golf course up the way they've set it up. Listen, on Sunday, 
those creams weren't weren't dry. They were they were almost dead. They were literally almost dead. And I don't know, I don't know if people have talked about this very much, but if you notice the last two rounds, every ball that was hit in the bunker, almost virtually every ball plugged. Uh, somebody had the great, uh, great intuition to put, put fresh sand in the bunker very close to the tournament date and the sand, the sand never settled. So, you know, players would sometimes bail out in the bunker because they hit a bunker shot better than they can hit that deep rough around the green. But there was no bail out into the bunker. Uh, you hit it in the bunker, you, you press, you're actually worse off than, in that tall grass in some respects. So there were a lot of, I think there were several mistakes made in the course setup. I think a lot of guys were hacked off about it. Arnold was not alive anymore. Um, I think they've got to be very, very cautious going forward in the next one or two years with how they set that golf course up or they're going to lose a quality field. Tom, I want to go back to the Players' Championship because there's a couple other questions I wanted to get your thoughts on, particularly with uh, Cam Smith's final round. Were you surprised that he attacked the pin on 17 with a two-stroke lead? Or if you pulled him aside and got into his heart of hearts, did he push that shot? So I'll tell you, I'll tell you a great story that relates to that, Chris. In, in 84, when Freddie won, I was walking around the last round. When I was positioned on 17 on the, on the left hill, left of the green on the spectator hill, and, you know, of course, in one shot lead, and he's got, you know, Watson and Trevino, and Watson and Ballesteros right there. Actually, the group in front of him was Stadler and Trevino. Oh, uh, here's a guy that only won one time at that point. And he hits the shot on 17, and I, I kind of have a side view, but I look up and I go, oh my God, that ball's going, that ball's right. It's going in, in, in the lake. And it caught the back right side of the green, not so dissimilar to the way Cam's did. Um, so about you know forty minutes later he's done and he's won and we're in the we're in the press room and it, we're just about to go to he's just about to go into a press conference and I looked at him and I said what the hell were you thinking about on seventeen going for that pin <laughs> he goes going for the pin he goes I blocked that thing forty feet I was choking so bad um, <laughs> so so I think Cam was in the same situation he was probably playing that thing a little left and short of the pin and hoping it was released and, you know, a little tension and a little adrenaline and kind of shoved it out to the right. And luckily, he caught some real estate there. I, I, there's no way he was hitting it at that pin. There's no way. What about his decision to hit driver off the 18th tee? After he duck-hooked his tee shot on 16 a couple of holes ago and having hit it in the water on 18 off the tee in two of his previous rounds, I was yelling at the screen at his caddy to grab the driver away from him, just kind of like I did with Bones. With Phil back in 2006 at Wingfoot, I want him to take the driver, snap it over his knee, hand him the three wood, and say, "What are you thinking? Hit this." So I, I looked at I looked at Cam with that driver in 18 the same way I looked at Philip Wingfoot or Vandeveld at Carnoustie. I was like, "Put that son of a excuse me back in the bag." Um, you know, I mean, it's it, it's either a uh, a foolish move, a, uh, a, a adrenaline move, uh, you know caught in the moment move or just a, a really confident player says, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to take this thing, the bull by the horns and go. But I, I thought, I thought that was not the club's choice. And then I think the shot he hit from under the trees that went in the water eventually, that thing ran 75 or 80 yards. That was just an adrenaline rush where he, he actually just, you know, didn't expect it to come out of that pine straw that good and he kind of hit it a little too hard and took off on a firm fairway. Um, the, the real coup de grace though, was how great was that, Pitch shot he hit after he dropped, right um, under that under that pressure. That was, I mean, I thought that was off the chart good and not talked about near enough. Tom, switching gears a little bit, let's talk about Tiger Woods and the Hall of Fame. He got inducted 
Last week, he uh, obviously he was going to get in. I mean, they lowered the age from 50 to 45, so it happened this year. thought his speech was a little odd. What did you think about Tiger's induction? You know, I it, first of all, because, you know, we talked off air before. I mean, that that, that audience, when they panned that audience and, and the balcony, it was like, who's who? I mean, nobody, nobody in golf was missing. It didn't seem like it. So many guys came out. So many guys who were previous Hall members came back. Uh, it was a real testament to Tiger that he looked up in the balcony. So many guys came over from CPC to sit up in the balcony just, just, just to watch the induction. I thought the speech was a little odd in that you could tell it was not prepared. Uh, he was, he did it off the cuff. I, I was really surprised that something that important was done off the cuff. I thought it was really uh, a swing and a miss. You know, whether you have a good relationship or a bad relationship with Butch, with Hank Haney, with Chris Cuomo, with Fluff, with C.V. Williams, and apparently with Joey, you know, his good relationship with, I thought the fact that he didn't mention those guys, at least in bringing up that, listen, let's face it, those six people, um, those three teachers and those three caddies, had a hell of a lot to do, in my opinion, with so many of his successes. And I, I at least thought they deserved a shout-out. Um, obviously, we knew he was going to thank his parents. We knew that was going to happen. Um, he referenced Earl and Mom several, several times during that speech. But I thought it was a, a peculiar absentee that those six other people, who I think had an awful lot to do, like I said, with the successes, were missed. Yeah, I was, I was sort of scratching my head watching the speech. Because I, I I thought when he ended it, he was still just in the beginning of what he was going to talk about. <laughs> I mean, he talked about, you know, as a, as a young guy and then, you know, the, the challenges that he faced, you know, trying to get on the golf courses and play and, and, and those sorts of things. And then the early tournaments and all of that. So I think great, great stuff. And we got to age about 10 and then it was good night. Like, wait, yeah. wait, yeah. <laughs> you're yeah, just at 10. What happened? What about all the the U.S. amateurs and the Stanford and the '97 Masters and the 2000 U.S. Open? Like I thought we'd get some of that. We got good night at ten. Yeah, we, I was we definitely we, I, I thought definitely it was, it was a swing and a miss on a lot of different fronts. Um, and again, I think that's what happens when you're in a moment that's an emotional moment like that, and you're not prepared, or you think you can go up there and wing it. Um, it it's hard to wing it in that setting. You, you so much emotion. So many things running through your head. So many people in front of you and faces that you recognize. It's easy to get lost up there. And I think the fact that he wasn't prepared. And here's a guy that is 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 an ultra ultra great preparer for golf tournaments, right? I mean, one of the great preparers of all time, much like Nicholas was. And in such an important moment, he wasn't really prepared. I didn't think. Time moving on. I want to get your thoughts on all the hot water Phil Mickelson has put himself in with the Saudi <laughs> League trying to leverage, right, the potential uh, get more money out of the PGA Tour by leveraging the Saudi League and all of that, you know, and, and I get that that was the wrong thing to do and that, that I didn't think that strategy through, but boy, he has paid an unbelievable price, in my opinion, losing all of his sponsors, you know, Callaway put him on pause, but everyone else sort of backing away from him and all of that sort of thing. Seems like a lot for a guy that didn't break any laws. He, he you know, he, nothing. He didn't get arrested or anything. He, he, he laps the judgment. All with you. Laps the judgment. But boy, this seems like an awfully steep price. 
You know, I think we disagree a little bit on this one, Chris. I mean, I think it's, you know, Phil has had, um, you know, just numerous, numerous times when he's, you know, opened his mouth and stuck his foot in it. We've had some incidents in Vegas. We've had a really close brush with insider trading. Uh, we can go on and on about some things that have happened that have been controversial. Um, Phil is always the smartest guy in the room. Uh, I, I mean, it's pretty well documented in some of the things I've posted and talked about that I'm not a big Phil fan. Listen, incredible talent, incredible talent. I mean, incredible record. Listen, you take Tiger Woods off the planet uh, the last 25 years, and this guy is Tiger Woods. He, you know, he's done some incredible things on the golf course, hit some incredible shots at key times. Um, he's been as dramatic in some of his losses as he's been in some of his wins. But you know what? You don't bite the hand that feeds you. I mean, we disagree, Phil. The PGA Tour made you, and no one player is bigger than the PGA Tour. No one player is bigger than the PGA Tour. Maybe with the exception, maybe with the exception of Tiger. Um, he called some people out uh, publicly that I, I didn't think was cool. Um, and, and depending on what your political views are, um, <laughs> then he calls out the Saudis, too. He actually bashes them as killers. So he bashes his home front. He bashes where he might be going. He, you know, he's a man on a life raft in the ocean by himself. So <laughs> whatever he get, whatever he gets, still deserves. And listen, you're right. It's cost and deal. It's it's it's. He's a very very unpopular commodity right now. Uh, and the and the thing that's really sad about that is, here's a great 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 career, a Hall of Fame career, one of the greatest Hall of Fame careers, and this will be part of his legacy going forward. This will be something he'll be remembered for going forward as much as he's remembered for some of his great victories. Tom, I can't let you go without getting a playing lesson from you tonight. And Send me, um, send me a Venmo. Send me a Venmo. And I'll tell you, I'll give you a <laughs> help, me with, um, help me with lag putting. You know, a lot of us amateurs, we, we throw away a lot of strokes on three putts. So when you're looking at a 40 to 50 footer, how can we do a better job of getting it down there? I know we got to practice those, but how can we do a better job of reading the putt and getting it inside a two-foot circle so we can help ourselves from not three-putting and save some strokes? You know, it's incredible, Chris, you're asking this question. My last my last uh, session today at the Crown Colony was with um, a young man named Evan Long, who's very dear to me, who was tempted me about um, four years ago. Bobby Ford sent me, actually. Um, wow. A good friend of yours and mine. Yeah. And Evan was at the University of Minnesota and, and virtually unproven. He's had a, a great run the last three years and some major amateur events. And he turned pro uh, and just got his Latin American tour card. And actually in his second, in his second uh, start, finished fifth in Chile. So we're really moving in the right direction. He's doing beautifully. And we were out working tonight and uh, on the golf course. And on the first hole, he drove it down there pretty nicely and then hit kind of a little bit of a chunky iron and left himself about 45 feet uh, over a rise, down a hill, up a hill, down a hill, side hill, really difficult. And he, he was going to go hit some chip shots. I said, no, no, let's putt that one. And uh, he hit this incredibly beautiful speed putt up over the hill, broke perfectly, and rolled it down there and actually caught the low edge and just spun it out and stopped about an inch behind the hole. And one of the things that he and I have done the last four years is we've hit a million, a million speed and uh, and lag cuts because it was a weakness when he came to me as a junior at the University of Minnesota. His speed control was not very good. So we've done tons of speed drills. 
with a lot of undulation and a lot of uh, a lot of movement in putts. You know, anytime you hit a good putt from a long distance, you marry together perfectly line and speed. And some people are really good at getting the ball in line, and some people are good at getting the ball to go to the right speed. But not very many people can put both of those things together. So I think one of the things that amateurs make a mistake in doing is when they go out and practice. A lot of practice putting greens at clubs are relatively flat. And that doesn't really stimulate some of the things you're going to encounter on a golf course. So I take people on the golf course late in the day to some of the more difficult greens on the golf course and put them in different positions and ask them to read the putt and talk to me about what they're seeing. And then we coach them through what they might be missing. And they hit a lot of putts from different positions. And I encourage them to go out there by themselves at times, get a golf club and go on the golf course, and hit a lot of putts in those situations because the only way you get your eye dialed into that and your hands dialed into that uh, are by is by doing it a lot. Um, it's an art form. It's it's part science, but it's part art form, and you got to go out there and experience it and do it thousands and thousands of times to be really good at it. I mean, Cam Smith this week, um, <laughs> absolutely incredible. Uh, to some really tough hole locations, hit some wonderful putts that he. Yeah, you know, I mean, let's face it, he holds a bunch of them, Chris, but the ones he didn't hold were dead weight right at the hole every time. A lot of hours have gone into that skill. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners now how they can stay up to date with all the great things you're doing, follow you both on your website and on social media as well. Chris, uh, the website is really simple, just tompatry.com. But uh, I'm really proud of this YouTube channel. It's taken on a life of its own. It's got 150 videos on it now. They're really, really good. And uh, you can you can go there, subscribe for free, and, and, and like them. And I wish everybody would. Um, but, but the normal, all the normal characters, you know, uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and, and Facebook and Instagram uh, are all part of, uh, of ways to find me. Um, but you know what? Let's circle the wagons and back to you. How, how, this is your ninth season. Dude, look at the lineup you've got tonight behind a no-name teacher, an old, fat, no-name teacher from <laughs> Fort Myers, Florida. You've got a major championship winner. You've got Billy Mather had one of the great amateur runs of his of his of of, of golf in the, in this century, of the last century, I should say, actually. And, and Owen Brown is one of the one of the all-time great grinders on the golf course. You continue to have some unbelievable guests. It's a real tribute to who you are. And man, I, I can't wait for the day because it's going to happen when, when the phone rings and it's ESPN or it's the golf channel or somebody who really realizes that the talent they have sucks and you should be on there ahead of most of those people because you're unbelievable at what you do, dude. Well, I appreciate you saying that. That means a great deal to me. Um, from your lips to God's ears, my friend. Uh, exactly. But I love you. Exactly. You're, you're the best. I can't thank you enough for coming back for another season. Uh, I look forward to each and every time you're a part of the show. You always make the segment so much fun. No one's better than you, Tom Patrick. Chris, short game, short game, short game. I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> Thank you for beating that Perfect into my head. Him. Yeah. Thanks, pal. <laughs> Take care, Tom. That's Bye, a great Tom Patrick. TomPatrick.com is the website, at TomPatrickGolf on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, check out that YouTube page, my friends, because he's got, like you said, 150 free videos. How can you not go out there and subscribe to when one of the great instructors of all time is going to give you free lessons to go out there and watch over and over again at your leisure? Tom Patrick, what a great man.